Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, got my drink. Everything's good. Hey, everybody, welcome. Uh, welcome back. We have some weird news, not really unexpected, though, today. Um, we have some some news about the Artemis program being having a little bit of a delay. Sorry, I got to move my camera down a little bit so you can um, you know, get a better view. But the Artemis program, when it started, um, the timelines were kind of ridiculous. I don't know if you, you know, like if you if you think about it, like to get all this stuff done in such a short amount of time is really, I would say, more than expected that there's a delay, but it was kind of ridiculous that they thought they were going to be able to make a um, <laughs> make a giant rocket. The SLS works pretty good. We see we saw that Artemis one SLS works pretty good. Uh, Artemis two. They're going to send people around the moon and back, but they also like, these are all new systems except for the, you know, the, uh, engines from the space shuttle, you know, from the shuttle era. So everything else, pretty new stuff. So they had a few years to build this stuff, you know, a couple of years to build it. Um, and they want to, they want to delay it a little bit, which I understand because the HLS Starship hasn't even flown to orbit and made it all the way around yet. The first two test flights blew up mid-flight. Big Starship fan, but that's just what happened. You know, it's it's an extremely experimental spacecraft right now. Um, they've been working on it forever. Um, so we know that the the Starship is in a phase where it might make it on uh, launch number three um to orbit and also make it all the way around to uh the coast of hawaii which would be insanely cool very very cool but what's the um you know what's the timeline on that we don't exactly know we don't exactly know uh elon and spacex don't even know you know they don't know when it's gonna make it around um i wish i wish more people would be more um, logical about things like this because as much as I love SpaceX and I want Starship to succeed, it's a, and this isn't just about Starship. There's also, also a Boeing, but I, the things that we can see are Starship and it's not in a place where I could send people anywhere near the moon at this point. Don't even put anybody near the Starship. Um, it's in a good spot. Starship's in a really good spot for the second flight. They did fantastic. 
uh, flight three will probably be way better than flight two and one. Uh, but they, you can't put people on that thing yet. And I know they're going to transfer them while they're in space, but you just can't do it. It's not safe yet. So it's going to take them a while for them to figure that out. It's going to take them a while to figure out, um, you know, some other delays that are happening. There's a Boeing delay that's happening. Um, so Artemis two is going to probably be pushed back a year. Maybe they were talking months, but maybe a year, maybe two. Um, there was some battery issues, batteries during vibration tests, um, that, have, that have been leaked. Batteries will need to be replaced. So that's in the Orion capsule. So that's the crew capsule that people will be using to transfer to the starship so they can go to the surface of the moon. Um, so the Artemis two mission, they can't use that system right now because it needs to be replaced. Those batteries need to be replaced. Could be months for that replacement, but they have to go through rigorous testing of those batteries and rigorous testing of the Orion capsule when they put the batteries in, because it's not like they just put a battery. Like when you put a battery in your car, if you've ever done that, you just kind of unattach the positive and the negative, take out the old battery. Of course your car's off when you do this, put your new battery in, put those things back on, connect it back together. And then your car will probably start up the first time. And if not, you give it like a couple seconds, you start it up again and your car works fine. Everything's great. This is a, <laughs> this is a moon uh, capsule that has a hundred thousand parts in it, you know, and this has to keep people alive off world going to the moon. So uh, replacing batteries, super important. And they have to do rigorous testing. Artemis three, um, which is planned for the first mission to land on the moon, uh, which would be 2025 using starship. Um, probably going to get pushed back because SpaceX is taking longer than expected to um, get some of those milestones hit. Um, so we're going to, we're going to tune into NASA's broadcast here in a minute, but I want to make sure that we're, you know, covering a few things before we get into that, because kind of have to be ready. You know, we have to be ready for this. Uh, let me, I got to like pull this up for you too. If you have any questions, let me know in the chat too. And also uh, welcome everybody in the chat. Uh, NASA is going to be starting in about eight and a half minutes, eight and a half minutes for NASA. So yeah, let me, let me know what you guys said. Game over said David Redfern. No, they're, they're just going to like push it back a little bit in space flight things are delayed all the time. You know, a couple months to a year. Spaceflight is literally the hardest thing that people do. It's literally the hardest thing. Um, because people leave the earth. <laughs> like you gotta be good at what you do and you gotta make sure that everyone is safe. You know, like if you think about it in that context, like you're going to literally leave the world, our earth and go to space. You have to make these systems absolutely perfect. Nobody can be hurt. Nobody, nothing can be damaged. Anything that goes wrong during these flights, it's uh, absolutely, it absolutely has to go 100% perfectly. Uh, so these batteries from Boeing, too bad. I think they're two batteries. Um, you know, they're, they've been working on this for a while, but the Boeing um, capsule, the Orion capsule, these batteries, they need to be replaced. Could take months. Um, NASA senior officials, 
have been mulling plans to move the inaugural Artemis astronaut landing to the fourth mission, too. So Artemis 3 was going to be when people board the starship for the first time. And then Artemis 4 now, they may do another dummy mission with a test of all the systems without people in it. So I think that's what's going to happen today. So this is this is my prediction, is that they're going to push back Artemis 2 um, either months or a year to make sure that all the systems work properly. Artemis three will be a full dummy mission. Maybe people on board, more than likely people on board the Orion capsule, but the starship will do a dummy landing on the moon surface without people on it just to make sure it works and then put people in the Artemis four mission because they have to test the starship. And of course that is one of the milestones that starship and SpaceX has to hit is that they have to do a test mission for the starship to land on the moon in order for them to continue getting contracts for the HLS mission. So they already got the money, you know, but they do have to hit these milestones in order for them to do this. Um, yeah. So it's going to be, it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a tough one here. So, um, did they, did they use Duracell or bunny batteries, metal rules? I'm not sure what kind of batteries they have in there, but, uh, I'm pretty sure it's not Duracell or uh, Energizer Bunny batteries. Um, so the Artemis program works with a bunch of companies to make sure that everything goes well when they're in space. Boeing, uh, Northrop Grumman, SpaceX. I mean, um, you know, Blue Origin as well. ULA, they're working with some of ULA launch systems for some of their missions too. So all of the things that need to go right need to absolutely go right. One link at a time LLC says what batteries they had for the moon river or uh, sorry. When do you think the next starship liftoff will be? Um, I was hoping for middle of January, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be early February um, at the earliest at the earliest. It's probably going to be mid February, maybe late because the stuff they're doing down there with uh, just disassembling a lot of the water towers and things down there it, it just it's going to take a little while plus we never we don't know what's happening with the booster at this point they have re, they've already done tests on the booster and on the ship but they took the booster back to um the high bay so they're working on that now but we don't know what they're doing we don't know what they found with their data and we don't know how the engines worked or anything like that so i'm guessing middle february maybe march i it like that's probably no earlier than uh, February, mid-February. Um, you know, Jeff Bezos, Blue Origin, also making a lander. So uh, could they swap out the Starship for the Blue Origin lander if Blue Origin shows that they can do this? Um, SpaceX, you know, if SpaceX just completely fails, if, if the Starship just doesn't work, and then Boeing and, you know, um, you know, I'm sorry, Blue Origin sends their lander to the moon. It's sort of like a, ha-ha, I gotcha, you know, and they send their lander to the moon. SpaceX already got the contract, but if it's going to save people's lives because Starship just doesn't work, NASA will take on, you know, because Blue Origin already has a contract with NASA for specific missions, but if SpaceX would postpone those first couple Artemis mission, first couple Artemis landing missions, um, then they i mean i don't know what they can do if there's like an some sort of uh, agreement with them i'm not sure what it is i not off the top of my head i'd have to look into it a little bit um 
Uh, one link at a time. Uh, LLC says smash the like button, everyone. Yeah, could you please just do uh, just hit the like button? Let's try to get up to 50 likes real quick. Um, what batteries they had in the moon rover in 1970. Ooh, that's a, those, those were all custom built batteries at that point. Those are all custom built for the moon. So they don't have like a, they don't have like a brand name. You know, they're not energizer bunny batteries or anything. NASA will be starting momentarily. So I'm going to, um, set that up so we can have that. But yeah, please let me know in chat if you have any, if you have any questions or concerns or anything like that. So. Uh, about this mission. I want to know what you think about this mission. Do you think it's actually going to be worthwhile to do this mission? Let's see here. I got to get all this stuff set up. I have been There we go. I've been setting this up for a little bit. So um, the they just announced this teleconference a little bit ago. So um, yeah, we're getting we're getting this ready. But they have about two minutes before NASA goes live. So we'll watch it and we'll listen in. Um, Blue Origin can't make a rocket, but can make a moon lander. Well, we're not sure if they can make either yet. You know, they've been working on um, the lander for a while. It's been recorded. If you have any go. objections, you may disconnect at this time. The call will begin momentarily. This is the NASA call. So I'm, uh, I'm, we're tuning into that in the background, but I'll be here reacting as well. And they have some cool wait time music right now. Wish you guys could hear it, but it's probably copyright. So I can't play it. You probably heard like the first few things. It's like you dance like this to it, like an old guy, but you know, this is this is a serious topic, but we like to have fun here on the channel. So don't take yourself too seriously is what I'm saying. Enjoy yourself. Uh, space flight isn't uh, something to get worked up about. We're not going to get angry. <laughs> I love angry astronaut, by the way. I love angry. I I freaking love that guy. He's so funny. I He's one of my buddies, too. So I love anybody in chat. Like, just shout out to Angry Astronaut, too. Fun guy. Good guy. Just like a nice dude. Yeah. <laughs> Stay angry. <laughs> He's so awesome. He's like a pro wrestling guy, right? Like, his persona is like a pro wrestling guy, but he's like a sweetheart in real life. Like a sweet guy. Did he ever move? He's working on it. He's working on it. Yeah, Angry Astronaut's the best. Stay. <laughs> I do an, I do a really bad impersonation of angry astronaut, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's pretty fun. Yeah, I love the guy. Stay angry about space. Yeah, he has like that grumbly sort of like pro wrestler thing going on. He's always mad at Boeing. <laughs> I love it. Check him out. Check out his YouTube channel. He's the best. I'm like laughing so hard because I'm thinking about it. It's amazing. Got ahead to. <laughs> wow. Uh, are we launching today, David? No, we're not. We're we're listening in on a media teleconference um, about NASA pushing back the um, Orion flights or the uh, Artemis flight. Sorry, with the Orion capsule. And I'm listening in on the suite. 
Oh yeah, this is it's good music. I wish I could hear you guys, or wish I could uh, let you guys hear this, but it's like seventies kind of funk disco stuff, rock almost. Uh, yeah. So Mars is a waste of resources. Metal rules. Wait, do you think that, or were you trying to be? Were you trying to quote the angry astronaut? Angry is the best. Let's face it, Boeing has been a joke when it comes to space and that capsule. I don't, I wouldn't say they're a joke. I would say it's very difficult, you know, and I'm going to be devil's advocate um, for them right now because everything is super hard when you do space stuff um, because you're sending people off the planet. Absolutely incredibly hard. Um, and these things, you know, it's, it's the most difficult engineering feats you could do. Um, so any delays, anything like that, like it's a weird thing to have a new capsule. You know, there's millions of parts in that thing. And if anything goes wrong, I think somebody in chat said, if one, if, you know, one thing can go right, but a million things could go wrong yesterday in the chat. So I can't remember who said that, but they were completely right. Um, and like a million things could go wrong in that capsule and, you know, Boeing, as much as we like to see the, the downfall of companies and we all click on those videos on YouTube too. Don't tell me you don't like the downfall of whatever it is, whatever you're interested in, you know, uh, the downfall of Tony Hawk or the downfall of whatever, you know, it's like, all right, that's tempting. You might click on it every once in a while. And there's always that you know, exaggerated history of those things. But Boeing is having a having a moment right now, unfortunately. So a lot of things are going wrong at Boeing. I really hope they do the best things that they can, um, you know, and, and make sure that this um, capsule works properly and these people get there safely. So um, you think every ounce of resources removed from Earth and put on Mars is a waste? Oh, here we go. Inform all participants that your lines have been placed on a listen-only mode until the question and answer session of today's call. Today's call is being recorded. If anyone has any objections, you may disconnect at this time. I would now like to turn the call over to Faith Mackey. Thank you. You may begin. Good afternoon, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us. I'm Faith Mackey with NASA's Office of Communications, and we'd like to thank you for joining this call to provide an update on the future of NASA's Artemis mission. In addition to NASA Administrator Bill Nelson, NASA participants today will include NASA Associate Administrator Jim Free, Kathy Kerner, our Associate Administrator for the Exploration Systems Development Mission Directorate at NASA, and Amit Shathriya, our Deputy Associate Administrator for the Moon to Mars Program in NASA's Exploration Systems Development Mission Directorate. After brief opening comments from each of our speakers, we will gladly take your questions. The question and answer portion of today's call will include representatives from our industry partners and the European Space Agency. A full list of our partners on the line is available on our NASA Artemis blog at blogs.nasa.gov Artemis. You can enter star one on your phone to be entered in the question queue at any time, and the operator will open your mic when we're ready for your question, then close it afterwards. 
We ask that you please stick to one question and identify to whom your question is directed as we won't have time to give uh, each industry partner time to provide a specific update. We also ask that you focus your questions specifically to today's update surrounding our future Artemis missions. Shortly after we conclude, you can listen to a replay of this teleconference online. And now I'll open the floor to Administrator Bill Nelson. Hey everybody, it was a little over a year ago that all of us watched uh, Artemis One as a test flight. And it was so successful that additional tests were added in the course. Uh, it went further than any human-rated spacecraft, and it has that iconic picture that we've all seen uh, where it's taking a selfie photograph of itself, and in the background, 40,000 miles away is the moon, and further in the background, 270 miles away is our planet. Many of the complex missions that will return astronauts to the moon uh, and eventually to Mars uh, all came out of what was this first test flight. And so we've named the Artemis uh, two crew and they are busy training for their mission around the moon that will test Orion's systems to support human life in deep space. And again, we go back to the moon in a different way. We go back to the moon this time to a different part of the moon. Uh, we also go back to the moon uh, with commercial partners and with international partners. And uh, by the way, uh, we are down here at uh, Houston, and I visited with the crew several times yesterday. Uh, they were telling me uh, that they were invited to the Oval Office. They were given 15 minutes to visit with the president, and they ended up visiting with him for an hour and a half. Uh, and I think it's illustrative of what's happening. I saw, for example, as we took the crew last night to the national championship game. And during one of the timeouts they were introduced, uh, the place went nuts. So uh, everybody is really excited. We're in a golden era of exploration. Uh, and this time we are going about the football games. to the moon in order to be able to learn, to live, to create, and to invent in order that eventually we can go to Mars. And the science is going to help us unlock the secrets of the formation of our solar system, including the secrets of our own planet. We're going to, in the process, Back to the moon, we're going to develop new technologies. We're going to develop new propulsion to go to Mars. So how we go is just as important as what we do. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. 
Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. And so this is, to put it in the president's term, this is a big deal. We've announced a new partnership with the UAE for Gateway, and that's a huge moment for the future of space exploration. And through FLIP and Artemis mission, we are showing the strength of the commercial partnership and American innovation. We are doing something incredibly different. In the process of all this, as we remind everybody at every turn, safety is our top priority. And to give Artemis teams more time to work through the challenges with first-time developments, operations, and integration, we're going to give more time on Artemis 2 and 3. So what I want to tell you is we are adjusting our schedule to target Artemis II for September of 2025 and September of 2026 for Artemis III, which will send humans for the first time to the lunar south pole. Artemis IV remains on track for September 2028. And though challenges are clearly ahead, our teams are making incredible progress, and you're going to hear about that shortly. Uh, Jim Free has done an extraordinary job leading NASA's Exploration Systems Development Mission Directorate over the past two and a half years and standing up the Moon to Mars program Uh, Jim, as you know, is our new uh, associate director, uh, associate administrator, uh, having uh, replaced uh, Bob Cabana, who had promised us a year before he retired, and we got uh, almost three years uh, out of Bob, and he is now having his uh, retirement ceremony this weekend. And so Jim is going to hand the reins over to Kathy Turner. And she and our program manager, Amit, uh, they continue to make good progress. Think back to over 60 years ago when President Kennedy went uh, about 20 miles from where we are now to Rice Stadium, and he made that famous speech, we choose to go to the moon and do other things, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. 
and Artemis represents what we can accomplish as a country, as a global coalition, and what we can accomplish when we set our sights on what is hard and what has never been done before. So, Jim, over to you. Thank you very much, sir. Um, you know, these early Artemis missions are what we refer to in our Moon to Mars architecture as our human re lunar return segment. We're demonstrating the foundational systems, things like Orion and SLS, um, that we need to support the, the human missions on the surface and in lunar orbit. And as the administrator referenced, these programs reflect our, our different approach we are taking to extend human presence to the moon and Mars than what we did previously in Apollo. The moon may not be different, but our knowledge of the moon and advancements in technology, industry capabilities have changed our approach to exploration, which you can see reflected in all of these programs. I'm gonna let Ahmed talk more about the progress and challenges with the schedule leading up to Artemis two and three, but I wanna emphasize that safety is our number one priority. You heard it from the administrator today, you've heard it multiple times. And as we prepare to send our friends and colleagues on this mission, we're committed to launching as safely as possible, and we will launch when we're ready. We learned a great deal during Artemis One and, and continue to learn today through the production of Artemis Two, Three, Four, and, and all the hardware we have in flow. And we plan to, to put those uh, lessons back into our future missions. And that's what flight tests are all about. As you heard leading up to Artemis One, as we'll talk about for Artemis Two and future missions, these are flight tests. Developing, testing, and learning and improving our knowledge is what we're doing and ensuring that when we do fly, we'll be successful. Uh, establishing the Moon to Mars program office that Amit leads has enabled us to improve our integrated approach across all the programs and a great deal of credit goes to Ahmet and his team for that work. You heard the administrator talk about our crew. They are incredible, and they've been busy learning about the systems and subsystems they'll be flying, and they and other astronauts across the crew office can continue to monitor the design, production, and assembly of all the hardware, giving inv invaluable input from the operator perspective. That Artemis II crew will be the first people to set human eyes on the far side of the moon in more than a century. And I can't imagine all the, the pictures and recordings that they'll bring back to capture those moments, but also inform our understanding of the moon. The crew is a, a constant reminder for us of how important it is to remain focused on the work we need to do to ensure their safe return. This is a team effort, an international effort um, that involves our government, our international partners, our industrial partners, collaborating to achieve new milestones in human lunar exploration, things that have never been accomplished before and that require us all working together. That's why we have our partners on the line with us today. We are facing challenges, both uh, technical uh, and just dealing with going back to the moon but the Artemis team is solving them. And let, let me remind you that what we're talking about for these early Artemis missions includes the initial human landing system capability, the crew demonstration of the Starship human lander, 
the initial gateway capability, which includes the integrated power and propulsion element, along with our habitation and logistics output post that we call HALO. And the more powerful Block 1B configuration for SLS that can launch crew to the moon in Orion, along with cargo in a single launch. And for Artemis 3, we, we must be realistic there as well. We're looking at our Starship progress, the need for propellant transfer, the need for numerous landings. We're looking at our spacesuits that we're acquiring in a different manner that we've done before and, and developing the new spacesuits as well. Soon we'll add uh, unpressurized rover from a service perspective too. All of those alone are incredibly large challenge and a really big deal. And I know that Kathy Amit, our program managers, will continue to do everything in their power to work closely with our partners to keep all of these on track. So we need all parts of our team focused on performing as efficiently as possible and to the highest standards. And as I and others have said and will continue to say, we'll launch when we're ready. So let me turn it over to Amit to share some more of the challenges that we faced and how we're tracking those down. Okay, thank you, Jim. Thank you, Senator, and thanks, thanks to both of you for your leadership. I have a lot to go through, um, so I'm going to try and get through the questions. Uh, first thing I want to say is a huge thanks to all of the, our stakeholders and all of our industry partners, international partners that have contributed to the to the formulation of the Moon to Mars program office, the integration efforts that have been put in place by all of them have been tremendous. We really are one team, and I think you'll see that in the responses and also as we go forward, we're one team solving these problems together. Uh, we have a really complex flight test campaign that makes up these early missions, um, you know, as, as Jim and Senator Nelson said clearly, and it's, it's worth to me to say over and over again, our number one priority is safety. Our number two priority is to make sure we're making comprehensive, methodical progress towards our objective. And our number three priority is to learn from the data we get from our flight test. And I think you'll see that as, as we're going through, we're, we, are, we are making that learning, and it's impacted the way we are planning through that. So for Artemis II, um, again, the, the, the primary, um, there, there's a lot, there are new capability that's being on-ramp for the mission. Uh, the, we have new, new facilities at KSC uh, to enable um, Rapid turnaround for, for, for propellant loading, also for the for the loading of the crew, for the egress of the crew, for the launch vehicle. We have uh, a new abort system that will be uh, activated uh, in an integrated way across the across the stack. And of course, for the spacecraft, we have a new life support system and its ability to respond to those aborts. And those are all added there, of course, to support the crew and of course to, to support crew safety. Uh, we haven't covered. We haven't. We have two major sources of learning. Um, that, have, that are informing the way we're, we're, we're developing the Artemis II mission. The first, of course, is from the tremendous amount of data, the engineering data we got from the Artemis I test flight. And the second is from the production, both the components and the assembly uh, level uh, production that's coming in for the subsequent missions for Artemis II and III and beyond. We have hardware inflow coming in for all of those missions. We're not doing these serially. We're doing a, a concurrent development for a lot of this work. And so... From the, from the test flight in particular, we had two, I would say, one major finding that, that, that we need a little bit more time to work, and that is the performance of the thermal protection system on the spacecraft, on the heat shield. We have an ex so the, the heat shield itself and the, and the, the Orion 
um, the the performance uh, specification that we levied on that on the vehicle and on that system was met with uh, met with extreme precision. We we had a large factor of safety at the at the bond line of the spacecraft and our, the entry guidance performed almost perfectly. We were able to, to put the vehicle right on top of our partners in the Navy who were able to recover the vehicle very crisply. But what we did see in the performance of the of the heat shield itself was some unexpected phenomena that we need to make sure we understand perfectly. The lessons of our history is that even though we believe we understand and that our hardware is performing according to requirements, we have to be absolutely certain that we understand the integrated performance of that system when there are excursions from that performance. What we saw on the heat shield was, uh, again, like I said, very good performance from a thermal protection standpoint. We did see the off, the off nominal recession of some char that came off the off the heat shield, which we were not expecting. Now, this heat shield is an ablative material. It is supposed to char, but what it's not, what we were not expecting, were some pieces of that char to be liberated from the vehicle. And so, we need to make sure we understand the transport and debris transport phenomena that, that caused that. We have spent the bulk of 2023 investigating that uh, in facilities across the agency, as well as with help from the DOD. We have an extensive investigation into the root cause of that issue, and it's going very, very well from our industry partners, as well as our, our partners across the government. We have taken on a methodical detail campaign to understand this issue, extensive core sampling, testing, and data review. And that is that, all of that review is, is, again, as I said, going, going quite well. We have to synthesize that data and update the overall thermal, mechanical, and material models of that heat shield to make sure that before we, we, we attempt uh, reentry from a circumlunar return mission like we'll have from Artemis II, that we're 100% confident that we understand the performance of that heat shield under those conditions. We've been able to replicate the physics, and we expect it to, definitive, to definitively identify the root cause of this, this recession of the char material, hopefully here in the spring. So as I mentioned, the, the, that was a large source of learning from Artemis, from Artemis One. We've also learned quite a bit from the acceptance of hardware coming into the into the flow from from subsequent missions uh, that we're planning for. One of one of the major ones has to do with the life support system. Uh, during the acceptance of some components for Artemis Three, we noticed a failure in some motor valve circuitry that's driving valves on the on the on the on the spacecraft itself. This is a common motor, motor drive, drive um, uh, set of circuits that after investigation, th this, these components passed acceptance testing for Artemis II, but did not pass them for Artemis III. And so that gave us pause to stop and, and look at that circuit in a more detailed way. When we, when we examined it, we recognized that there was a design flaw in that circuit. Th those valve electronics affect many parts of the life support system on the spacecraft, in particular, our ability, in, in particular, the CO2 scrubbing system. And so once, once we recognized that the, the, the design flaw and we, once we looked at rationale for potentially using the system as is, it became very clear to us that it was unacceptable to accept that hardware and we have to replace it in order to guarantee the safety of the crew. The way to replace that hardware, given the current configuration of the spacecraft, uh, we, we're going to have to, it, it is uh, the access to the, that, those components the access to those bays is going to take us quite a bit of quite a bit of time to get to. Every every connector that we touch as part of that as part of that replacement uh, operation will have to be tested after we're done. 
and we'll have to put the vehicle through full-up functional testing afterwards, and we're committed to doing that. We know how to fix it. We just need to make sure we take the time to do it according to the workmanship standards that we expect for a human-rated vehicle. Uh, the, second, the second major finding, we, we, have, we have, as I mentioned before, we have, for the first time on this spacecraft, we are flying an integrated abort capability. Uh, the SLS is an is a, is a, is a, is a extremely powerful machine, and the Orion is rated to fly in deep space. And when you, when you design a capability to, to the Orion to actually separate from the spacecraft, from the launch vehicle in the event of a loss of control, that environment during separation is quite severe. We've qualified the entire Orion to survive during those environments. We have, however, as part of that qualification campaign, found a few cases where we, we believe there could be some deficiencies in the performance of the electrical system, in particular, some of the batteries that we need to make sure we understand uh, how they're enduring those environments. So we're still very early in that investigation. We've not yet developed a forward path. We have multiple parallel options to fix this issue. We also have a lot of options to determine whether or not we believe those environments are accurate. And, and we have a lot of testing to do in front of us, but we wanted to make sure we give ourselves the time to do that. And as, as we mentioned before, continuing our analysis, the crew safety is going to do on that subject. So those are kind of the major drivers. Um, as I said, to, for, for the Artemis II delay, um, with all every single one of them has to do is either a derivative of a capability that was added for safety or, or a mandatory fix to make sure that the vehicle is as safe as possible for our crew. So what I will say, though, is we are making tremendous progress. Jim and the administrator have already mentioned the crew is deep into training. Every, every component of the, of, the, of the mission that needs to be at Kennedy, with the exception of the core stage, which is at Mathieu, is already at KSC. The core stage is actually at a point of maturity that was much further along than when we shipped it for Artemis I. Uh, we are going to hold it there at Michoud until the time to, um, to, to ship it in, to be ready for this mission. But there's a lot of work that we can do at Michoud that's a little bit easier to do there than in the transfer aisle of Kennedy. But we have the booster segments ready to stack, the upper stage ready to go, uh, and we're finishing the, the validation of the mobile launcher and the rest of the capability. So I'm going to move on. Uh, the, other, the, the last thing I'll say about Artemis II is that it, even though um, it's, it's, you know, we're, we, we're really, uh, we want to fly and we want to fly as safely as we can, with the delay, we're going to take advantage of some additional capability and incorporation of lessons learned from Artemis I, including the ability to potentially access the vehicle at the pad uh, during, during, um, during the launch campaign and during potential uh, weather events. So I'll move on to Artemis III. Um, for Artemis III, we're adding several new capabilities. Of course, it's been mentioned by Jim, we're adding a human landing system uh, with, a, with a very uh, complex uh, propellant transfer scheme and earth departure scheme. We're also adding advanced spacesuits. Each one of these spacesuits is an individual spacecraft for the crew, and we're adding a docking system to Orion and new choreography amongst, amongst our launch teams for a dual launch campaign required to make sure that both Orion and the lander can get to the same point in space and to proceed with, with the lunar landing. So the coordination and the choreography of those ground assets, as well as in space and other communication assets, is a significant coordination challenge, and we're doing everything we can to add tests and to add capability to make sure that that's successful. There's extensive integration going on across those systems. One of, not, not one of these elements, we have all the transportation elements that we've been developing, but, but, but with the suits and with the lander, that's a, that's a huge, 
a, a conglomeration of, of different development activities that have to meet together, and not any single one of them is more important than the other. We need them all to be ready and all to be successful in order for that very complicated mission to, to come together. So the new schedule for Artemis 3 aligns with the updated schedule for Artemis 2. It ensures that we can incorporate lessons learned from Artemis 2 into the next into that mission and also acknowledges the very real development challenges that have been experienced by our industry partners. As, as I mentioned at the beginning, we have an integrated flight test approach to this capability. So as we add each new mission, it increases complexity. We have to add tests for new systems. And, and this new schedule will give us the opportunity for our partners to, to have that additional time and make the refinements to make sure we're as successful as possible. Um, see, see, the fall of 2026, that September 2026 timeframe we, we, is still very aggressive, and we all, but we all need to pace our work uh, with the same degree of urgency, and I think it's very important that, and our industry partners are 100% committed to this approach. In fact, not only are they committed, but they, it also is worth pointing out that some of the issues we found uh, with, Artemis, with the Artemis II components on the Orion would not have been found had we not pushed our partners to deliver uh, hardware for Artemis III and IV as we proceeded towards flight. And so all of that production is, is teaching us as we go. So, in, but for Artemis III, even though that fall of 2026 timeframe is, is aggressive, we, our European partners are going to ship their service module in three months. We have the upper stage for the SLS already delivered. The, the, the uh, RS-25 segments, the RS-25 engines have already been delivered. We have the, the booster segments already ready to go. And so we have all of this work coming together in addition to the tremendous amount of tests that's going on at Boca Chica with SpaceX and, with, and here in Houston with Axiom. So I'll move on quickly to talk about uh, Artemis 4 and 5. For 4, we have several new developments. As Jim mentioned, it will be our first new mission to Gateway. We know we have to launch the integrated power and propulsion element and the HALO. Uh, this is the core of Gateway. It will take uh, about 12 months for that, for that PPE HALO stack to, to, on a long spiral trajectory, head out to the, to the NRHO orbit where we will meet them with a crewed flight as planned in September of 2028. We, we, we had previously planned to launch the PP and HALO in October of 2025. We're now working with our industry partners at Maxar and Northrop Grumman to review the schedule for when it makes sense to launch that before Artemis IV. We believe they have a great path to get us there to support that mission, but we, are, we will be updating that schedule uh, here as well. So we, again, we, we're doing what we can to make sure our partners have the time to do the development correctly and safely. Jim also mentioned that Artemis IV will incorporate the configuration of the Block 1B well, on the SLS with the, with the exploration upper stage, carrying the first gateway module as a co-manifested payload, the incredible IHAB from, from ESA. And Artemis IV will also be the first mission to host uh, logistics delivery. Uh, we, we have given authority to proceed for, from, our, from our partners at SpaceX to develop a logistics capability to deliver cargo to the gateway space station. And that started at the end of last year. I'll, I'll finally wrap up with Artemis V, which to me is the end of our, at least, what I consider our responsibility as a, as a test program, uh, we, are, we are bringing on a, a brand new landing system provider. Blue Origin has been a tremendous early partner with us. Uh, we intend to announce um, a provider for lunar terrain vehicle services in the coming months. We'll have new gateway components and a, and a logistics delivery. The administrator pointed out the exciting news of having that of our new partners in the United Arab Emirates that are going to provide an airlock for the core components of gateway, which after that Artemis 5 and 6 timeframe will complete the core of the Gateway Space Station. And also, finally, in the last few months, we've been asked, we've asked both of our human landing system providers, 
SpaceX and Blue Origin to begin applying the work they're doing on the human-rated versions of, of, the, of the landing vehicles to develop a cargo variant that can land large cargo on the surface, which is a tremendous change in, from the way we've, we've done uh, lunar exploration in the past. So as you can see, we have a lot of hardware in flow. I'll, I'll save more time for, for questions here as we go because I've, I've covered a lot of ground here. But this is a long-term exploration campaign, and what that means is that we have we, we're working on all these missions essentially simultaneously. We need flexibility in our manifest. We need resilience in our manifest. And that is the commitment we have from all of our, our NASA programs and all of our industry partners. We have, it is essential that we make progress on every, every element of the campaign in order to deliver on the success of these goals. It's also essential that we're prudent in the way we're planning for when these, if these developments maybe have, maybe have more issues so that we're ready to respond in a flexible way to make methodical progress towards our goals. So I think that's enough for me. At this point, I would like to hand over to my new boss, Kathy Kerner, uh, to talk uh, to, to finish this up here. Thank you, Amit, Jim, and Senator. I want to start by thanking Jim Free for his dedication and effort in standing up the Exploration Systems Mission Directorate and the Moon and Mars Program Office. I'm honored to step into this new role and lead our exploration team. Crew safety is and will remain our number one priority. I want to thank Amit's Moon to Mars team for the detailed work that they're doing on each of these issues and managing the integrated risks and schedule across the six Artemis programs. As Amit noted, Artemis is a long-term exploration campaign using astronauts to conduct science at the moon and prepare for human missions to Mars. It's important that we develop and fly our foundational systems well so that we can safely carry out these missions. Moon to Mars program teams work to identify the flight test objectives that we must demonstrate on the early Artemis missions ties directly to the agency's Moon to Mars objectives and exploration approach. It is the next level of detail in implementing our Moon to Mars architecture and will provide strategic guidance for tough decisions. A resilient mission manifest is essential for something as complex as developing the systems and technologies for long-term exploration of the moon in a manner that prioritizes scientific discovery and benefits for humanity. While Ahmed and his team work on the implementation approach, our broader architecture development work also continues. This last November, we completed our second architecture concept review where we sat down with the stakeholders across NASA to review our moon to Mars exploration plans. This most recent review focused on identifying the foundational decisions needed for a crewed mission to Mars and adding more detail to how we break down our objectives into architectural elements for long-term lunar exploration. In the coming weeks, we will publish updated materials from this last architecture concept review, which includes updates to the agency's architecture definition document and white papers highlighting critical results from the most recent strategic analysis cycle. The architecture definition document presents the current state of NASA's human spaceflight architecture and exploration strategy and breaks down the Moon to Mars objectives into functions and use cases that can be implemented through architectural elements. It includes current partnerships, identifies gaps, and presents opportunities for future collaboration. As our administrator mentioned earlier, this past Sunday we announced a new partnership with the United Arab Emirates on the airlock for Gateway. I look forward to the future partners that will one day join us, and I'm very grateful for our existing partners, the European Space Agency, the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, and the Canadian Space Agency. I'm also grateful for our industry partners that have agreed to be on the call today. Whether we're partnering with other space agencies or contracting with industry and academia, we have shared exploration goals and shared responsibilities. 
The ambitions of long-term exploration of the moon and Mars are bigger than any one country, space agency, or company. So when we go, we go together for the benefit of all humanity. Artemis is different from anything humanity has embarked on before. We will discover groundbreaking science and technology as we learn to live and work and explore in a collaborative and sustained manner. I look forward to working with Amit and the team, including our academic and industry and international partners, as we collectively strive to uphold our commitments and prioritize safety and exploration. Ultimately, what we build, test, and discover at the moon will determine the human capacity to explore deep space for longer periods of time, setting NASA with our partners on a steady path for our next giant leap, sending the first astronauts to Mars. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'd like to thank our NASA leadership for their updates. Um, we will now begin the question and answer portion of today's call. I want to please remind you to stick to one question and identify to whom your question is directed. And if we have time, we'll allow reporters to ask a second question. Again, you can enter star one on your phone to be entered in the queue at any time, and you can enter star two if you'd like to be removed from the queue. And one final reminder to focus your questions specifically to today's update surrounding future Artemis missions. So I think we have in our queue, uh, our first question will come from Marcia Dunn from the Associated Press. Yes, hi, probably for Mr. Free. Um, with the extra time now, are there any thoughts of sending the Artemis II crew into lunar orbit a la Apollo 8 versus just a, a fly around? And what's the chance of shoehorning another mission in between Artemis II and three if the landing systems are not ready? Thank you. So, no, the Artemis II mission profile is gonna remain the same. Um, we're, we, we, we've set that in place for a variety of reasons. We want that 24-hour orbit around Earth to make sure we can uh, check out the vehicle. We want that uh, path to, to the moon to be captured by gravity and come back so we uh, build resiliency into the system and have some um, redundancy there uh, to, to bring the crew back uh, safely. And so no, no thoughts to changing uh, Artemis 2 and 3 is... As we've all said, we're going to learn from these missions. Um, we're going to learn from what happens on Artemis II. We're planning for Artemis III to be that uh, landed mission. But as we say, we're going to take every bit of safety, and we'll we'll learn from our uh, the hardware as it's developed and as it's flown, and decide uh, from there uh, any changes for the overall part program. But as you heard today, Artemis III is still a landed mission in September of 26. Thank you. I uh, will take the next question from Micah Maidenberg of the Wall Street Journal. Hi, uh, Ahmed. Uh, independent of the issues that you discussed about the Artemis II delay, uh, could you give a, a just again a couple of specific example examples about the the new timeline for Artemis III? Um, if you hadn't found the the big drivers related to Artemis II, which would Artemis III still need to be pushed back, and why? Uh, thanks. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think the, an the answer is yes. 
uh, we need more time um, on the landing system landing system development and on the on the suit development to do that. Um, you know, they're they're making tremendous progress at Boca Chica with the with their test flights, but it's extremely challenging um, to some of the propellant transfer and other goals that they have in order to to make that Earth departure sequence work for us. So yeah, that, that I would say that even if we could fly Artemis two on the time frame that we we um, we had planned originally, we would still need the extra time to fly Artemis three in September twenty six. All right, thank you. I'm gonna move on to Gina from ABC News for our next question. I think this is uh, for um, for John, but uh, at what point in the mission did the heat shield material separate? How much was it? I think we're gonna have uh, Amit lead on that question and then we can uh, have John give some. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we, we of course, the, the, other, the, other, the other new part about the way we did return on this vehicle was um, we did what we call a skip reentry, and so the the uh, the majority of the liberation of the material. And when, and when I talk about it, it makes it sound like there's big chunks coming off the vehicle. That that's not correct. It was some some liberation of char material that you know in general we were you know we were not expecting hardly any. We we did get some, and a, and a majority of that occurred after we pulled up from the first phase of that of that skip reentry. We're still piecing together that overall timeline. Of course, it's very tough. Um, based on the assets we had to identify each and every one, but we did what we went frame by frame through every piece of video that we had from Orion and from our external assets to determine when the initiation of that char liberation began, and most of it was after we started uh, climbing out of that. All right, thank you. I'm going to move on to Bill Harwood from CBS News. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Um, can someone address for us uh, how many refueling flights you guys think is going to be required to get HLS from LEO to the moon? You know, there's been everything said from people on the Hill from flights in the teens uh, to just four. I don't really understand why. I mean, I realize it's variable. I mean, you're in the process of planning all this and the numbers may change. But can someone please ballpark this for us, give us a better idea of just how challenging it is uh, to, to work all this out? Thanks. Yes, sure, Bill. It's a great it's a great question. I, I'd like uh, Jessica Jensen from SpaceX to to take that. She's been involved heavily in the development. What I would say is, um, just to start with, that you know that they have been SpaceX has been extremely transparent with us, and we've been sharing a, a lot of data with them about our own challenges in terms of cryogenic refueling. Um, and you know, so much of this is just going to have to come from flight tests. And I think the re probably the reason why you're hearing different numbers is because. We have a lot of different modeling and, and analysis iterations that are going on to do that, but the but the but the rubber is going to meet the road when we actually try and do this in orbit. But I'd like to I'll hand over to Jessica to see if she's got anything else to add. Yeah, thanks, Amit. So first of all, SpaceX is super excited and really honored to be a part of the Artemis three program, working with NASA, Lockheed, Axiom, all the partners to return. U.S. that, you know, return astronauts back to the moon. It's, it's just truly incredible. Um, yeah, prop transfer is going to be a big part of that. I think one of the things I want to clarify is propellant transfer in orbit, it sounds complex and scary, and it seems like this kind of big nebulous thing. But when you really break it down into the various pieces, we've actually achieved almost all of the complex parts already on our operational programs now. And it's just going to be piecing them together for Starship. 
So for example, you know, we've docked, we've birthed or docked Dragon at the International Space Station more than 30 times. So everything we've learned from the sensors we use, the algorithms we use for, you know, safe rendezvous from pulling back, all of that, we're going to leverage all of that in having two starships docked together. Another big thing that I think can seem very intimidating is, you know, launching missions in close proximity to each other to be able to achieve, you know, rapid refueling. And on Falcon 9, you know, we're able to launch missions within a few hours of each other. Pad turnarounds have gotten very short. We can even launch off the same pad within a few days of each other. So, again, we're going to leverage those capabilities that we've learned onto Starship. And then the last bit is, you know, the cryogenic propellant transfer part of it. So, again, that is where we're working um, ground tests right now. And a lot of what we do for cryogenic propellant transfer on the ground, translating that to what we do up in space. And what's so great about this is because we'll be doing it through a flight test perspective, we'll learn on the flight first flight test, you know, how much propellant is actually transferred versus what we predict. We can make changes then on the ground for the next flight and iterate, and that will actually wind up determining how many missions we need. But even if it's an expensive amount of missions, we have all the capabilities and have already proven them through other vehicles that we will be able to do what Artemis 3 needs. Uh, Jessica, this is Bill Nelson, but the question was, how many fuel transfers? Hi, Bill. Yes, so I will say it will roughly be 10-ish. That would be my rough guess right now, but it could be lower depending on how well the first flight tests go, or it could be a little bit higher. All right, thank you, Jessica. I'm going to move on to Julia Roulette from Reuters for our next question. Hey, thanks. Um, I wanted to follow up on Marsha's question from earlier for Jim. Uh, what would it take for NASA to decide to move that first moon landing mission off of Artemis 3 and onto Artemis 4? Um, and just for Jessica, what is Starship's current milestone schedule, you know, including the propellant transfer test, the landing, uh, before it makes that moon landing? Thanks. I'll let Jessica go first since that flows from the last question, then I'll get to yours, Joey. Thanks. Got it. Yes. So we are tracking for propellant transfer capability. Again, these initial flight tests uh, in 2024 and then continue the learnings into 2025. Um, one of the other missions we have leading up to Artemis 3 that we believe is super important, again, another flight test is an uncrewed landing to the moon. So again, using Starship to do an uncrewed landing on the moon and then ascending off the surface. Super important to, again, test that before we put people on board. And yes, as everyone said, you know, crew safety is paramount. So we want to ensure we do as many flight tests as we possibly can just on the Starship vehicle in general, but also do the uncrewed landing to the moon with Starship before Artemis 3. And to your uh, first question, Joey, I, I think it's what I tried to say earlier. What are we going to learn on two that might make us change three? What are we going to do from a hardware availability? If hardware is not going to be there in a, in a reasonable time, then maybe we need to make a change. Um, but and and then you know what else could possibly be out there? The the some of the issues that Ahmed put out there, like the circuit issues we, we didn't anticipate. Um, so we'll learn from the production of other vehicles as well. Uh, you know, 2024 is a whole bunch of development for us. Some of the, the uh, spacesuit development that uh, we have to go through, 
the uh, SpaceX flights for the human lander that we have to go through, the continued build of the two vehicles. So we're kind of constantly looking at what is going to be um, what is going to be there and uh, what's going to be ready and what do we need to do to make sure that ultimately we minimize the risk. There's always going to be risk. It's flight test. It's landing on the surface of the moon. But what do we do to minimize that from hardware availability, hardware understanding, and hardware readiness? All right. Great. I'm going to move on to Kenneth Chang from the New York Times. Um, I, I just was a follow-up to this basic question. Um, when would the ICMC test be done? Uh, yeah, I think we can defer Jessica for that one. Hi, yeah, we are targeting that in 2025. So, again, we'll have flight tests leading up to that. We'll be working in close coordination with NASA, but we are targeting that mission in 2025. All right, thank you. Going to move on to Kristen Fisher from CNN. Hi, thanks for taking my question. This, this uh, question is also for uh, Jessica Jensen with SpaceX. Jessica, I'm just curious if you could give us an update on the timing for Starship's third test flight, and if you can confirm if it would or would not include um, that uh, refueling demonstration on that next test flight. Thank you. Hi. So yeah, we are working towards um, Starship flight test number three right now. We have static fire the booster already. We have static fire the ship. Um, this will not be the mission that does the on-orbit ship-to-ship propellant transfer. So this is just the next series in our iterations of um, increasing performance and getting to orbit. But there will be, we are working towards a tipping point demonstration. So that might be what you're talking about, where um, the goal is to transfer um, propellant from the header tank into the main tank. So it's sort of a smaller subset of learning about cryogenic propellant transfer in orbit. Um, from a hardware readiness perspective, we are um, targeting to be ready in January. And then from an FAA licensing perspective, we're getting the license for flight three. Part of that is closing out the corrective actions from flight two. Um, we're on track for that. We're working closely. So we're expecting that license to come in February. So it is looking like flight three will occur in February of this year. All right. Thank you. We're going to move on to Alicia Sowers from Massable. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my question today. This is for Amit. Um, just so our readers can understand, if astronauts were inside Orion during Artemis One's descent, um, what could have literally happened to them given that the heat shield's uh, material wasn't ablating like engineers expected it to? I'm just wondering, could you be as straightforward as possible and just sort of connect those dots about what exactly those potential outcomes could be? Yeah, the the Great question. If we had crew on Artemis One, the lunar the lunar return velocities would have been essentially maximal for the missions we have planned. They would have not sensed any uh, any disturbance inside the vehicle. They would not have been there would not have been any uh, excessive heating on the structure, and the guidance would have put them exactly where the Navy needed to recover them. So there would been there would not have been any impact or to the crew safety if we had that exact same design on Artemis 1. All right. Thank you. Uh, now we'll take a question from Eric Berger from Ars Technica. 
Yeah. Hi. Thanks very much for doing this. I get this is probably a question for Jim, but maybe also the senator. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about the confidence that we should have in a 2026 launch date for Artemis 3? You know, this date has moved from 2028 to 2024 to 2025, not to 2026. And, you know, it just it, you talk to people in the industry and they, they don't feel like that's really realistic, given all of the work that, that Amit described, and that you described, Jim, that we've got a you know, we've got ahead of us. And so this really an aspirational date. Um, like where there's a low chance or like, do you think there's a 50% chance of us hitting this date? It just, just kind of walk me through your confidence in that date because it does not seem to be consistent with what I'm hearing in industry. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. Uh, thanks for making the time to be on this. Uh, it's interesting because we have 11 people in industry on here that have signed contracts, uh, to meet those dates. Uh, so, so from my perspective, the people in industry are here today saying we support it. Um, we've signed contracts to those dates on the government side based on the technical details that they've given us, that our technical teams have come forward with. It is, of course, not without risk. I mean, uh, we're, we're moving two for crew safety. Um, we're setting a date for three that we have set with our contractors based on the technical plans that they've laid out. Um, all of those technical plans have risks to them. They have risk, uh, risk mitigation associated with them. Um, Off-ramping points based on what we learn as we're going through some of those tests. You heard uh, Jessica's great description of, of what their plans are to get through things to support three. Um, we also have the spacesuit development that we're, we're on the, the back end of the preliminary design review. For Artemis 3, so the what we found out in uh, in that review process and their supply chain setup is some of what has also influenced the date. Um, so, from a what do we have for uh, confidence? Um, I, I don't think I can I can put a number on it. What I can tell you is we put margin in there to uh, account for some of the risks that we plan to uh, we anticipate seeing. Um, we've tried to address the, the unknown unknowns. Um, and set a realistic plan uh, in place. You know, one of the discussions with the crew is they want to see a real, realistic plan because they feel like that gives them the best path to people working to a realistic schedule, and, uh, and that's what we try to put in place. So confidence-wise, I can tell you we've looked at all the steps, what it takes to get there to September of 26, what it takes to get there from launching in September of 25, so launching again in September of 26, uh, an example being what happened to the, the uh, mobile launcher. We understand that better. Uh, after one, we've made engineering changes for it to withstand uh, the launch more, so we anticipate driving down some of that. So I, I think what I, I want you to walk away with is the confidence is we understand the vehicle better. We understand how it comes together better. And then we've, we have the industry people uh, on the phone to say that's what they've signed up to contractually, and that's what we're going to hold them accountable to. All right, thank you. We're going to take our next question from Jeff Faust from Space News. Hey, good afternoon. A question for Amit. Of the uh, various factors that you mentioned that uh, led to the uh, change in the Artemis II launch date, which one is on the critical path? That is, if you have continued problems with it, it would further delay the mission. Thanks. Good question, Jeff. At this point, we, we drove that September date based on the time we think it's going to take to do the removal, replacement of the of the life support system electronics. 
and the penalty testing required to, to do the integration on the way back out. We're hopeful that the other the other findings, you know, on the that are that are uh, as a result of abort loads on the battery, as well as the conclusion of all of the, of all the the uh, the test required for the heat shield is enveloped by that by that work. All right, we're going to move on to Irene Klotz from Aviation Week. Irene, are you on? I am. Can you hear me now? Yes. Thanks very much. Irene Klotz with Aviation Week. Um, one quick follow on Dina's question is, um, could you uh, provide some metric of how much our material was liberated, understanding that most of it occurred after that first pull-up, like what percentage came off versus what maybe you expected to see. And um, for Senator Nelson, um, you've been very clear about your concerns about China and China's um, development and technological initiatives in space. And with these delays in the Artemis program, I'm wondering, first of all, if you have any concerns that China would land astronauts on the moon before the U.S. program could return astronauts on the moon, and um, if that would be significant at all. Thank you. Irene, I do not have a concern that uh, China's going to land before us. Uh, I think that China has a very aggressive plan. I think they would like to land before us because that might give them some PR coup. But the fact is that uh, I don't think they will. I think uh, it is true that their date that they announce uh, keeps getting earlier. But specifically, with us landing in September of 26, that will be the first landing. Okay, and yeah, to address the first question, um, you know, it's it's tough because it's a you know it's a it was across the geometry of the acreage of the heat shield. It was very small localized areas. In fact, uh, interestingly, it would be much easier for us to analyze if we had large larger chunks of it, and we and we was more kind of defined. Um, that's what makes it such an interesting uh, material and physics problem for us to reproduce. But we do have. Uh, you know, we have Lockheed Martin on the call, so I'd like to see if Tanya Ladwig maybe has any anything she'd like to add. I think the only thing I'd add, Amit, was, um, you know, we don't know, like you said, exactly the cause of liberation. We're having a great results in the testing, um, and that's why we're doing the extensive ground testing to analyze the data. But there was a healthy margin remaining of that virgin avcoat. So it wasn't like there were large, large chunks. There was, a, like I said, a healthy margin remaining of that virgin avcoat. And as you said earlier, the temperature data inside the cabin remained at the expected level. So if crew were on board, they wouldn't have been in danger. So um, hopefully that paints the picture of, of that it wasn't a very large amount at all. Yeah, I think, I think Tanya, the only thing I'd clarify is that, you know, the, we, we did have margin in the material, but what, what we're really worried about and why we're spending so much time analyzing this is that you know, as the geometry of that acreage changes, the flow around the spacecraft changes as well. So we really want to make sure that we understand for future missions under future conditions, you know, if that margin holds up. But yeah, that, that's a correct. Yeah. 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 We just want to make sure that we understand why our modeling didn't predict it, and so that we have accurate modeling for the missions going forward. Yep. 
And Irene, uh, my answer uh, to your question, remember what I said at the outset. We don't fly until it's ready. Safety is paramount. So uh, whether we fly in September of 26 and land, uh, regardless of uh, your question about China, we don't fly until it's ready. All right, and I think we have time for one final question. Uh, so we will go with Isam Ahmed from ASP. Uh, yes, thank you for uh, taking my question. Um, I guess one of them is, so Jessica, how many um, total orbital tests do you think Starship needs to do um, before, prior to the uh, lunar uh, uncrewed landing uh, for you to be comfortable to, to move to the lunar um, test? And uh, one question for um, Amit, which was um, in, in terms of the the second problem, the, the electrical problem, I, I didn't quite follow. Are you, is the suggestion that the battery um, would would might not have had power to correctly uh, execute the um, uh, the ejection procedure, the abortion the abort procedure? Thank you. Yeah, good. thank you for the question. I'll, uh, I'll hand over to Justin for the for the first part. But for the on the battery itself, uh, what what we saw in the, in the qualification test was we we subjected that battery to a to a full separation shock. Um, that we would expect for the for the spacecraft coming off of the launch vehicle in the worst possible loss of control, and in that case, we saw a loss of in some cases connector conductivity. So the concern would be not that the that the vehicle would, would be able to abort safely off of SLS, but that we would be able to maintain all of the power margin that we need for the for the vehicle to to from that separation all the way through landing. So we're, we're working through all that, but it is a—it's not about safe abort capability. It's about say, the say, the full, full functionality of the of the spacecraft during that abort. Thanks. And then, uh, Jess, if you if you copy the the first part of the question, you can take that one. Yep. So yeah, for leading up to the uncrewed mission, the main thing we really need is the prop transfer capability, and there's no you know minimum number of flight tests. We're going to as many as possible. It just helps us iterate along the way. The prop transfer flight is really the main one because really what's been happening over the past few years is we've been building the machine to build the machine. So we've basically been building all of the infrastructure and factories to ensure that Starship sort of right out of the gate has a high production rate, is capable of reuse, and has a lot, you know, and has a high launch rate. And basically all of that is going to help us in the prop transfer flights, the uncrewed demo, and then finally the crewed landing. So it's just really taken us a long time from sort of, we'll call it like an infrastructure and getting set up perspective to get to these first flight tests. Now that we're in flight test mode, there's no bare minimum of flights. It's just as many as we can get to help us iterate a little bit faster, but really it's prop transfer capability than the uncrewed mission. All right, I want to thank everyone for your questions, and I know that we had some that weren't able to be answered due to time, so we're happy to follow up with you after the teleconference. Um, but thank you, everyone, for joining us today. You can listen to a replay of this teleconference online by visiting the new... All right, everybody. Uh, thank you for tuning in today. I appreciate you stopping by and hanging out and being part of this. How interesting is it? that SpaceX actually actually divulged some information about the third flight. 
They don't ever do that. They never talk about that stuff. Elon might post something on X or on Twitter or whatever you want to call it um, about possible timelines. But it was pretty interesting that they talked about um, the the, uh, SpaceX representative talked about the timeline for the actual third flight of the Starship, which, according to them, uh, the hardware will be ready by the end of January. And then the FAA license will happen more than likely in February. So my predictions of first quarter, like first half of February, middle of February may actually come true. So I, um, listen, I, I don't work at SpaceX, but I know some, I know some guys. Okay. <laughs> I know some guys. Um, and the depot is refilled and refueled its liquid oxygen and methane by starship tankers. Yeah. It's going to be really cool. Uh, let's, let's go Joe. Um, the propellant transfer is going to be a very interesting, uh, very, very interesting mechanism because they have to have a tanker in orbit and they have to dock with a tanker with a starship and then transfer fuel from the tanker to the starship. But they also have to launch those tankers on a booster. So it, it's so many parts in order for them to get to the moon. Uh, but it's going to be, it's going to be incredible. I can't wait for them. They're basically going to do a slosh test in the, the next, um, the next flight in the, uh, flight three of the starship, basically a, a little transfer, like a little slosh transfer from tank to tank. So we have some information about that, which is really great. Uh, there was a little bit more information that was shared about the, uh, thermal protection system of Orion and how it ablated a little bit, a little bit of char on the heat shield, uh, that they weren't expecting. And like some pieces of the char were kind of like, they kind of fell off the Orion. Um, but later on in the broadcast, uh, they were saying the NASA representative was saying that that char didn't affect if there were people inside the Orion. So it didn't, you know, there was nothing, nothing like really bad happened. So fortunately, uh, it looks like they're, you know, they're going to push this back a little bit. But that's okay too, you know. It's okay. So NASA's going to push it back a little bit. Um, what is it now? Twenty twenty five for Artemis two, twenty twenty six for Artemis three, and um, Artemis four, which is the Gateway, is still on track for twenty twenty eight. So twenty twenty five, twenty twenty six, and then twenty twenty eight. So I have time to set up for my my mission to the south here. Get ready for my NASA mission. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I cannot wait to, to get down there and, um, yeah, to, to just get it going. If you want to help me get down to the South, I put a GoFundMe in the chat. Um, Virgilou says, you believe those dates? I believe that those are better dates. It's NASA. So it's going to be 2025. It's a year from now. Could they fix things before then? Yes, they could. But the lunar landing of Artemis three, if they see that was the the other thing, like, could they do a lunar landing three or four? It'll be, it'll be interesting to say the least. Like, I don't know if the people landing on the lunar surface is going to happen when they want to, but they want it to. 
I don't think that part's going to happen, but I think Artemis 2 is going to be fine. And I think Artemis 3, um, I think Artemis 3 might be a demonstration mission. I think Artemis 3 might end up becoming, they might change it to a demonstration mission. Because you can't just go in cold, right? I don't know. Just be, because you have to be like they kept saying during the during the process there during the the NASA um, press conference, you have to make sure that the people are safe, and that's the important part, right? Um. So if you if you do a whole Artemis three mission where the Orion capsule docks and they transfer people to the HLS and um. Then that lands, you know, if you do that, but without people, if you just do it automated without the people and test out those systems. And of course, you're going to spend millions of dollars doing that. But if those hundreds of millions of dollars save the people that are going to go to the moon and also set them up for future moon missions, it's worth it, in my opinion. You know, you spend money on some stuff, right? Like we spend money on stupid things all the time. Like the government spends money on stupid things all the time. They waste so much money, but this wouldn't be a waste in my opinion, because it's getting people to the moon. If you're against getting people to the moon, um, then I got nothing for you. <laughs> you know, at this point, um, let's see, uh, Michael Maxey. Hey, what's up, Mike? Uh, actually LH two, uh, harder to keep in liquid uh, from the LN LNG with transitions from vapor to gas and back. It cryotaps almost as easy as water goes from gas to liquid to solid. It seems like this is going to be a difficult thing for SpaceX to achieve, but hopefully they can get it sort of figured out. Like this is a very small test that they're doing for the, for the um, third uh, flight of the, of the uh, starship. So hopefully Hopefully they can do a small test and like get some of the, the dynamics figured out to begin with. Um, Virgil says, I think 2050 sounds more plausible. 25 more years. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'll be around in 25 years, man. I can't wait. I can't wait. I want, I need them to go like as soon as possible. Uh, T Brookie says they'll never launch humans back to the moon with this current NASA administration. There will all, there will always be risks. So, there's been other NASA administrations as well before this uh, that have been working on this problem that aren't these people that are in this administration, right? You know, um, there's there have been other NASA presidents, other people that work at NASA, administrators, et cetera. And they've been working on this for a very long time. It's not just the Artemis program. It was the program before Artemis, under the Bush years, that these people were working on this stuff. So they kind of like changed it around, you know, and it, now it's now they're pushing hard, which is great. And they're getting some progress done, but, and they have the SLS rocket, which is, you know, more than they had before, uh, the constellation, uh, program before wasn't, I mean, it was, it was a cool plan, but it didn't really seem feasible. Like this is feasible. We got a rocket already. We got an SLS, right? So like, at least we have that. Right. So they, they've made some pretty good progress with that. So we have an SLS, we have Orion. So we have two components, at least two of the major components in a really good spot. The weight on HLS, the weight on the starship, 
Uh, they're also waiting on Boeing because the Boeing, the batteries in Boeing, uh, the Orion capsule and the the heat shield, things like that. They like they said they spent the whole last all of 2023 basically looking at the heat shield and trying to figure out a better way to do it. And that's like that's what's great about NASA and these companies that they work with is that they can take a little bit of time. They have funding, you know. They have we pay taxes, right? Like I pay taxes for NASA. I'm happy to pay my taxes for NASA. I'd rather pay my taxes for NASA than anything else. So I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, I, I would prefer that they get it done faster, but I would want them to do it right. You know, do you want it faster? Do you want it right? You know, like those are usually the questions that engineers ask, you know, I'm an engineer too. Like I, I'm a code engineer. Um, do you want it fast? Want like garbage code or do you want it to, you don't want me to take some time on it and like really structure this thing out and there's a difference. There's a big difference between that. And like some of my stuff, you know, some of my stuff takes months to build. Uh, some of my stuff takes a couple of days to build. So same thing with Artemis program. Like some of these systems take, you know, it's going to take them years to get the perfect. But do you want it faster? Do you want it good? You know, do you want it right? So, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting take on things, right? So... It's a tough one. It's a, you know, I would love them to get it done as soon as possible because I'm selfish, you know, and if, and if you think like, um, if you think that they're not working as hard as they can in the administration at NASA, isn't working as hard as they can and like pushing people through and things, they have systems in place now that they didn't have in place before, you know, during the Apollo program, the Apollo program, a little bit reckless, you know, I, I mean, they did the best that they could with what they had, but you know, they're going to get a bunch of money to build a rocket to send people to the moon and you have a certain amount of time to do it. You do whatever dangerous things you can and everybody involved knows that, you know, it, there's a huge amount of danger. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a tough one. Apollo one, you know, like there was a fire in the, the, in the crew capsule um yeah it's it was pure oxygen they didn't know you know it's so like do you want them to do that again i hope not like that's a very selfish and unhinged thing to say like yeah just go fast make it done make it work like that's the kind of manager i never want like if you if you haven't if you have a manager that's like just make it work like dude shut up you know <laughs> shut up manager <laughs> like Especially if they don't know what they're talking about. Like, you don't want that guy. You never want that guy. You just want somebody who's like, okay, an even keeled somebody who's not going to put people's lives on the line. You want people to make sure that everything works properly. Of course, there's, you know, there's a need for urgency. And sometimes is spaceflight that it, do, do we need urgency at this point? Is there a, an, an urgent need to send people to the moon? Like, why would we rush this? So that's the other question too. Why would you rush this? I need an answer. You know, like if I'm a manager or if I'm an, if I'm an engineer, sorry, and my manager comes up to me and goes like, we need this now. And I, I push back all the time. Why do we need this now? If they don't have an answer, I'll, I'll say like, well, we're not going to do it then. You know, um, you know, there's no reason for me to rush this. It's just because you're being impatient. And you were unhinged. Like you're like you have issues, brother. Like, like it's not me, man. Like, 
why do we rush this? Is it because, you know, to make money? That's that's a good answer. Like, just tell me that as opposed to, you know, whatever. But if you rush it in instead of making it safe, that doesn't make any sense. So, um, well, until Starship hits orbit, Artemis has some spare time. Yeah, that's the that's truth, Fractured Gamer. You're 100% right. Um, Metal Rule says Apollo worked. SLS is a hangar queen. Engineers are the problem. Ooh. I wouldn't say so. There's there's so many there's so many pieces. You can't just point out that engineers are the problem because we also have funding from the government and they kind of dictate what goes on. So people are, you know, people want to, of course, it's easy to point fingers at somebody or a certain group and blame people. Um, but there's, this is a, this is a big system. Like millions of people work at NASA and the surrounding companies. So like, pointing at the engineers themselves. Um, I don't think that's fair to them. I don't think that's fair to them. Uh, there's, there's other people of, like I was saying before, like there's other people involved. There's politicians, you know, if you want to talk about people that don't get it, like sit a politician down, put him in a rocket, send him up to, you know, send him up to the moon. They might understand then, but they don't understand what it, anything about this. Other than uh, there are some, of course, and I'm you know talking about the the majority. They don't because it's not their job to understand this. Their job is to get funding for programs and to help people, you know. Um, and that's why they hire the engineers and the the people that are talking between NASA and the politicians, um, advocates, if you will, to to make sure that everything goes well. So there's all the pieces you gotta you gotta think of all the pieces you know so yeah debs uh what did you say debs how over 100 likes thank you all yeah thank you everybody for uh over 100 likes that's great um so kelly kayak adventures five years 10 maybe 20 yeah that's that's the nasa model right five years eh, maybe it's kind of like elon time like elon says it's going to be done in january uh, or whatever the, the, uh, the 420 ships He's like, yeah, we'll launch it in September. So I moved, I literally moved to Brownsville so I could be near starship to see the first launch thing. Didn't launch for like a year. <laughs> it was like, didn't even over a year after that, it was like, Oh, come on, man. <laughs> so yeah, it was like Elon time, you know? And so you have to, you have to think about the the consequences of your actions too. If it's just like build this thing and go. Like that is a, that's a dangerous mindset to have super, especially when you're talking about not only is it the people involved in the rocket, NASA will lose funding. NASA will lose funding. Public perception of NASA will just tank if something happens to these astronauts during a flight, especially the inaugural crude flight of Artemis. I mean, that's a, that's a tough one. You got to make it perfect because not only does NASA have to worry about the people involved, but they also have to worry about the money that gets sent to them, which of course it's a like, 
as much as we don't like to say this, you know, like NASA is a business. Uh, every piece of the government is a business. The business is a government or the government is a business. Like you got, they got to make money. So they get taxes from the people. We live on the land. So we're like, Hey, we're going to tax you for living here. It's like, okay, cool. So we put our money into there and then they like that money goes around and some of that money goes to NASA. It's a business. They got to make sure that their funding doesn't dry up, which is unfortunate because if we just gave them a bunch of money and said, Hey, just do the coolest thing you can do. NASA, we would have been on living on Neptune by now or something like it would have been crazy. It's been, yeah, but there's all the other parts to it. Um, yeah. Uh, the current moon program has been shifted from the moon to asteroids and back to the moon. Boeing has been a fatal flaw as it has a broken culture. I love space and adventure. T Bricky. I think you do have some good points. Boeing has been a fatal flaw. Um, I do think that Boeing has an old school culture. Um, and I do think there are pieces of that culture that would hold back progress. So that's as nice as I can say it. I would say some, if I were the angry astronaut, I would talk about Boeing all day long. You know, I would, I would go crazy on them, but yeah, the, the, the culture is very, um, relaxed as far as, uh, innovation goes in the space flight sector, but the Orion capsule is a Boeing thing. So there's always goods and good and bad for with everything. Not everything can be like SpaceX, you know, and even SpaceX, they're not the best. I mean, they're the best at what they do, but they've had like, they have flaws too. You know, they have like as much as a, as a fan of Elon Musk as I am. Um, the, the guy is, uh, like the public perception of his companies, which nobody really cares about, you know, if, like us, we don't care about it. But to stakeholders in the companies like Tesla and whatever, like Elon going on rants for a while, unhinged, <laughs> like that doesn't help it, you know? So, um, yeah, so it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how to say this, but, um, you know, oh, sorry. I meant, I meant Lockheed, not, not uh, Boeing for the, uh, for the capsule, by the way, but yeah, so Boeing makes parts for, uh, SLS programs. And so like, there are things that Boeing does that are great. Um, so I'm, you know, sorry for that, but the, yeah, it's a Lockheed, it's a Lockheed capsule. So, um, so what I was saying about SpaceX is they had their failures in the beginning. They do a great job now. Um, but you know, there were, there were parts where, you know, there were, there were times when like things didn't go so great. Uh, just like, you know, Boeing, how old is Boeing, by the way, Boeing is old. Let's see Boeing. Uh, see, I'm just going to say Boeing and see when it was started. Let's look at their Wikipedia for a second here. When was it started? It's an old company. 1916. Boeing was started in 1916. <laughs> So, and I knew, I know it was old, but I didn't, rem I thought it was a little bit, not 1916. 
It was, it's 107 years old. So anything that's 107 years old, there's going to be dips. There's going to be spikes. There's going to be mountains. There's going to be valleys throughout the time. You know, oh man. So there's going to be times when Boeing is just the worst, of course. But also sometimes Boeing's going to do some really cool stuff. Um, According to the stock, let me see what like the, uh, let's see how much time according to the stock. Let's see from 1916. I don't know when this is a thing. Let me just go see. I'm just going to go by the stock real quick. Just looking at it real quick. Just, uh, let's see. January, December 2018, December till now. See what the stock looks like. I like Boeing was pretty good. Yeah, pretty good in 20. Like back in the beginning, like 2018. Yeah, looks good. But. Not so good now. (laughs) Sorry, Boeing. I love you guys. I hope you do great work. I know you do great work, but, um, you know, sometimes, like I was saying before, there's dips and there's, you know, there's, there's valleys, there's mountains. Sometimes some of the giants fall. Um, people have said the same thing about Microsoft, you know, which is a weird thing to say. I'd like to bring up Microsoft in a conversation about space, but it's also a, a private company. Um, same thing with any other company that's a hundred plus years old. Anything that's over 100 years old, like Ford Motor Company, things like that, it's or Chevy or whatever, like car companies, like legacy car companies, they're going to be weird. They're going to be weird sometimes. But yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, it, it just seems like. It seems like putting all the. um all the the blame on Boeing at any point. It seems almost like like an empty argument, you know. You can say like, yeah, they didn't do anything right, or they did they did some weird stuff, but you know, I don't think they're holding. You know, uh, I don't think that company's holding them back. Like Lockheed's doing a great job, SpaceX is doing a great job right now. But if we find out, so would you to change your tune? And this is like a, a a fun question to ask in chat because I feel the same way as you guys. Right. So I'm like, Boeing's a valuable company. It's it's a great company. It, it it makes lots of great things. They make planes that send people all over the earth all the time. Um so the what if so this is a big what if, and I want to know what chat thinks. Um what if SpaceX messes up so bad with the HLS? What if they mess up so bad that they postpone the human landing on the moon for two more years and they weren't waiting for batteries for the Orion capsule? They weren't. Everything else is ready. Ground systems, the SLS, the Orion, everything else is ready. But what if SpaceX makes them postpone it for a few years because the Starship isn't ready? And then can we change our tune? Um, so you have to think about, you know, like dig deep within my friends, (laughs) dig deep within, because I'm one of you, like, I love SpaceX. I'm a SpaceX lover. 
I think it's amazing. I moved my whole life from the Northeast where I have all my family, all my friends, all the things I love to do. I moved down to Brownsville because I love that rocket so much. But is if they're, if they find something that's so wrong with Starship that they can't use it for HLS and they have to postpone and stop production, stop flights, and they have to rewind, fix it up for a couple of years. Everything else is ready for this, for the, HLS missions, except for the HLS part. Uh, then what happens? Right. So slow incremental progress or just, you know, like how SpaceX does it. Iterative design. Uh, they, they launch as many things as they can. And then whatever goes wrong, they figure out what went wrong and then continue to build on that and work on that. And I think that's where the difference is between legacy companies like Lockheed and Boeing and things like that, where they do similar things, right? Like they, they do iterative, iterative design in those companies, not in the public though. So that's, I think that's where the difference is because they do have a different system, but they do iterative design. Um, it's just, not as fa not as fast and furious as SpaceX. SpaceX goes wild. They go hard in the paint, man. Um, delays on SpaceX will enhance competition. Gregory Allen says, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, anything, any time that SpaceX fumbles, I think other people will be like, huh, interesting. Like ULA, they're Vulcan rockets. Like, cool. That's good. Um, you know, it's not, you know, it's going to be a workhorse. It's going to get missions done. It's going to get the job done. Uh, it's not a starship. It's not a Falcon nine. It's not reusable, but the people that hire Vulcan and they hire ULA don't care. You know, they might be legacy people uh, that are getting these contracts, but at some point they just go like, Hey, this is a pretty good price. And we trust ULA. They make great rockets. That's why people hire SpaceX too. Good price. Like anything, you know, like I buy a car, like I buy a Subaru because I know it's going to be reliable and it's going to be a good car. That's it. You know, good price, like a pretty decent price, good engine. I know it's going to last for a while. Um, and then you might buy like something a little bit less expensive because you don't have as much money. You might get a ride share, you know, you might not even get a car, but does it matter that it lands, you know, like some people don't care. Um, do I care? Yeah. I would rather every rocket land. I want every rocket. I want every rocket to land like a Falcon nine every time I want a starship to land. You know, I think that's going to be sick. Like when they catch a starship, Oh, that's going to be so cool. I'm going to freak out. Like just wait, <laughs> you'll see me dude. chat. It's going to be sick. I'm going to cry. I'm probably going to cry. Debs knows this. I'll probably cry about this stuff. Uh, Gnarly says, I like the way SpaceX goes wild. I do too. I think it's great. Um, but Tesla cars are not the cheapest though, right? But they work really great. Apparently, like most people that buy Teslas are very satisfied with their vehicles. Um, there are some outliers that are like, you know, the paint wasn't perfect or, you know, whatever. Like there are some people that are nitpicky about things, but and it, there are some builds that are just not great, but if you make hundreds of thousands of cars, like, of course, every once in a while you get a bad batch, you know? Um, 
uh fractured gamer says i'm kind of stoked for stoke space yeah same here i think stoke space is a cool cool company um you blub like a baby dabs i'm going to yeah i do crew two i was i was friggin' crying man like I'm, i love this stuff so much i'm so passionate about space flight and i like sometimes i go on rants i mean chat you know <laughs> you know <laughs> you know like you've been here with me the whole time you know like when I started getting funding for my GoFundMe to move to Texas to see Starship, like I was like, I would go to bed at night and just be like, this is so cool. And just like a little tear, one little tear would fall down my face. <laughs> oh, let's go, Joe. Catching. Yeah. Catching a Starship. Sorry. My bad. Uh, Marina, what's up? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting, interesting in the next few years to see what happens. Because if Starship is successful, I can't say when because nobody knows, but if Starship is successful, it's going to change everything. It's going to be the most insane amount of cargo going to space for a good price, too. The economics of it are going to just destroy everybody else. Elon is maniacal. He's and like the whole team there. It's not just Elon though. It's the whole team. You know, they're super competitive people. They want to be the best And that. Like if you, if you apply to SpaceX, I know people that work there. I used to live right next to four or five people that worked at SpaceX and they know how competitive it is. And like, it's hard work. Um, I was neighbors. I was friends with them. You know, I still keep in touch with them and the their interview process super competitive you know it, you're if you're not like the best of the best they're not going to hire you just forget about it forget about it they're not going to they're not going to talk to you just going to be like oh you're just some rando with like some cool projects i guess well whatever like you're cool but you know uh, all the people that i that i was friends with in uh at starbase they were just it, ridiculously intelligent people so crazy so so crazy and they're all competitive they're all very they they would talk about starship like it's going to change humanity like they have it's almost like a steve jobs type of like an apple sort of sense like we're taking on we're taking on the world you know and them as engineers and as people involved with that company they wanted to like they wanted to just, just destroy everybody in like a good way <laughs> that makes, like in a competitive way it's sort of like when you play soccer you know or something like when you play a game against somebody else and you're like i'm gonna beat you at this game and it's because i have this drive in me it has nothing to do with you it's just because this drive in me i'm going to do the best thing for humanity and that's why everybody at spacex thinks so those people are who make things happen down there. It's, it's incredible. It was, I just fortunate to have them as friends and to know that they exist, you know, and that they took me in as like one of their homies. Like I had barbecues with them and stuff. It was pretty fun. Um, yeah. So yeah, I had some good times anyway. I can't talk about most of it, but <laughs> not like that though. Not like that. Most of it's like, they wouldn't spill the tea or anything. They would just say like, you know, say some things, but that was back in the day too. Like the four twenty uh, 
you know, uh, ship four or ship 20 booster four days. So all of that stuff has passed by now. So they would talk about it a little bit and like just passing like with each other. And I'd be like, Oh, okay. Interesting. You know, as a reporter, as a space flight reporter, they just like let me around. Like I was like, dude, what are you guys doing? So, but I wouldn't report on it because it was just, you know, it's not the right thing to do. Um, but I would hint at it every once in a while. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy though. Um, Let's go. Joe says the catching might not work. Elon said it would be a farewell to arms if that's the game. Yeah. Yeah. Like what a nice meme. Farewell to arms. Um, I find busy as B and hanging out here. Nice, Marina. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy you're here. I'm, I'd love to do these live shows, by the way. Um, usually we do them at three o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And we have some sort of, you know, some sort of space flight topic to talk about. Uh, but today was a little bit early, started at 1.15 p.m. and we're still going strong at 3.05 p.m. So I think I'm going to have to call it for today. If you haven't subscribed to the show and you've listened to this and you actually enjoy conversation and not just being talked to about things, hit the subscribe button. This channel is different than other spaceflight channels out there. Um, you're not just the chat. You're part of this community. Become part of the flight club, you know, um, you know, hit the subscribe button. It takes a second. If you really want to support us, uh, have a GoFundMe at the top of the chat. And also, um, if you want to support us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe button. And if you like conversations like this, if you want to be involved, um, become a member because that really does help out the show tremendously. If you become a member, it's like a little bit of money, like five bucks or whatever every month. It's like one coffee uh, to help continue this show growing like going to continue growing almost at a hundred thousand subscribers now working on it been doing it for a while slow steady you know that's the best pace for me so um you know and we're not gonna shoot to the moon right away but we will get a hundred thousand subscribers um sooner than later and we'll have that cool button the cool play button the silver one very cool it'll be fun buy a t-shirt yeah deb's you're right that helps too um SpaceX, Elon Gwynn, help an employee meeting to unveil the new Dragon 2. Wait, what? Oh, they held an employee meeting to unveil the new Dragon 2. Yeah, buy a t-shirt or a cap. Yeah, I saw that. I haven't watched it quite yet. I've been busy. I'm moving. So, like, I'm moving everything that I have down to the south so I could be closer to NASA and also follow my heart. Uh, that's a whole other thing. I talked about it yesterday on stream, so... Watch the end of yesterday's stream if you want to know about that, because that's a fun, fun topic that I just went goofy about. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So thank you again for joining up, hanging out, being part of the flight crew. Hit the sub button. Helps a ton. Hit the uh, like button. And like I said before, become a member of the uh, of the flight crew and join up. Be part of the be part of the crew here. So thanks, everybody. I'm out of here for now. And I appreciate you, every single one of you. And how cool is it that they spilled the beans that they will be launching Starship in February for the Flight 3 test. Super cool. All right, that's it, everybody. I'm going to go bye-bye. Uh, thanks for watching. Join the flight crew. That's white on white. That's not the best. It's like the not even a great font there. <laughs> what did I do? Why'd I do that? Nice. Good job, me.
Good job, me. Hold on. Maybe it's just because it's that scene right there. Let's see. Let's select a color. Let's make it red. There we go. There. Join the flight crew. If you're new here, join up. Be part of this cool crew of other space flight enthusiasts. Pro streamer, dude. Debs, you're right. And I have, I'm off. I'm like off center a little bit in this little thing, this little thing I got going on here, this little square thing. How do I do this? Ooh. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.